You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. So I am talking to, uh, what do you call it again? Alistair. Alistair. <laughs> no worries, <laughs> Alistair Galt. Um, you kind of work for AOC, but you also do a lot of other things. So I kind of want to focus, I mean, how have you found the conference so far? So far, it's been, it's been entertaining. I arrived in the afternoon, so I missed the early morning uh, registration and the first um, a speech, the, uh, the first speech there for they go to the main hall for. I arrived in the afternoon for the New Generations um, meeting and also the early careers session and uh, the session on transitioning from student to post ex specialist. So that was focusing on geoarchaeology. So that was nice to reflect on that part of the profession, which doesn't really get talked about. This morning I was focusing on buildings archaeology because I quite like laser scanning and that sort of recorded heritage. And there was a lot of discussion about the fact there's a lot of disjoint between buildings and archaeology, mostly because developers and planners don't consider buildings to be archaeology itself. So it's been it's been a good couple of hours so far. So you, you're actually part of the uh, new generation. How, how much uh, are, you, are you ahead of it? I can't remember. <laughs> Not quite. I'm a secretary, so I have a fair amount of power within it. Not to sound like a dictator, which, yeah, which I must say, it does sound like you're actually trying <laughs> to take that Secretary on. Secretary General. See, the thing is, that what I've heard a lot of the time is about the need for archaeology to branch out further than it currently does. Mm. What's your opinion on that? So I do, I do agree. So what we're trying to do within the new generation special interest group, to give it its full title, um, we are looking at ways of engaging with, well, we engage with early career archaeologists and students in particular, and we're looking to aim more towards students now. Given the last couple of years, we've had cuts to funding for subjects for archaeology at A-level and like pre-university. So there's no provision to actually learn about archaeology really outside of the open university. And even then, it's extortionally expensive now because of the rise in student fees. So a lot of people are being put off doing archaeology because it's not perceived to be a career worth chasing. And we got rid of uh, A-level archaeology in England, yes. didn't we? Yeah, that was a bit England. of a mistake, wasn't it? Yes, that was... Uh... Your professional opinion, and as representative of... <laughs> Again, no, I, I think I did mention this to start with, to be fair. I do, in my professional capacity, yes, it was a bad decision because it means there's no provision now. I know, oh, I have met archaeologists who became teachers to then specifically to study the uh, A-level archaeology. And conversely, I've met people in my university course who only got into archaeology because of the A-level. So already I can... I've, I feel there is an impact. Lots of university departments are, re are recording significant drops in student participation. And as I would, maybe not, I can't say conclusively that the uh, lack of um, provision of pre 18 year olds uh, levels of archaeology is directly influencing university uh, degrees, but a lot of universities had to cut courses. Some of them had to close down. Uh, well, I say close down, that's a bit vicious. But definitely there is, there is an impact onto the archaeology sector that we may not see for a few years yet, but it was definitely going to come through into the commercial archaeology and it will probably have an impact on what is already quite a stretched resource, but it's actually quite fundamentally important to um, the national economy. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to go further with this kind of discussion of um, impacts and effects. Obviously, look, I, I've talked to a number of people who are in businesses and they've told me about how they've had to kind of bring people forward a couple of steps. They've had to jump people through because they just don't have enough people. Mm. Are, we have a shortage of archaeologists, which I, I never thought I would ever hear in my life. <laughs> and, and I just wonder, this kind of moving forward often is contrasted with this idea that there's experience missing there. These mm. are people who've had to do more work because of the work necessary, mm. uh, but they're missing out on stuff. And 
I want to know, how is that reflected in the new generation? How is it dealt with? I mean, this this apprenticeship thing that English Heritage does, mm. is that really uh, is that really what we want to do? Or is there something different that we have to do? What is what is the new generation saying? So what we're, what we're saying, yeah, there's a lot of people do come, uh, what I've heard, they don't just come to us, they also go to other forums as well and uh, express their grievances. I was one of them, has to be said, I still technically am. But back when I was starting out, I always moaned and always applied for these uh, various um, placements, particularly historic England, well, what was English heritage back then? Oh yeah. Um, back then, and they still run it to be fair, they still run, but the trouble is they only have one or two placements a year in um, either geospaces or in um, recording buildings or any other specialist subjects. So it's very competitive. So if you don't get it, you feel like somehow there's no other way through. So you do have to, you do spend a lot of time sort of looking around just for placements and things. So it's it's hard. I will not lie. It was, it's very demoralizing when you don't get that sort of thing, especially when you put in a lot of effort into the CV, you go for it and it just doesn't come come up at all. But isn't it funny how you're saying it's moralizing not getting those things, but at the same time, the industry is saying we're crying out for archaeologists. So yes. what, what is happening? <laughs> What's like, happening? So where are these arche- where why is there seeming a gap that's not being mm. filled? That's it's, the question. I think there's not enough communication between the organizations about where the situation is, because I've heard conflicting statements from various people from other companies that, yes, one of them is that there is shortages of archaeologists, but is it a shortage in general or is it a shortage in specific departments? Because I've heard most, I can probably say with some confidence that it's post-ex, which is suffering the most in terms of bone specialists and uh, pottery, uh, all these other sort of um, things that you do after you go from the field of all your finds. You don't have enough people there the post to actually go and actually analyze it. That's arguably the most important bit because they're the last people to handle the fines to make the right interpretation. If you don't have that experience, then your reports becomes a lot less, uh, it has a lot less clout behind it because you can't tell, say, anything beyond like possibly is it male or female? Because most archaeologists can probably tell you it's male or female, possibly the age, but they can't tell you the, uh, the diseases on the bones and things like that. So there's a lot of information you're missing out on there, which is fundamental to the, uh, to the profession as a whole, and to the academic side as well. But we're quite unique in that we have a lot of, um, compared to other professions, we have uh, this lot of overlap with our academic side. And uh, for example, I'm giving papers on digital ontology uh, to UP Association of Archaeologists in September. That's not a plug at all, honestly. But that, that being said, um, we, so we do have a lot of um, people who work as commercial archaeologists, but also in the academic sector. So yesterday, the geoarchaeology um, student post-ex, which was dealing with this topic, their advice is that people have just got to get out there and find a mentor, essentially. Now, it's hard because you don't know where to go to start with, but it's good advice um, because particularly if you can catch people when they're young and get their little bud of interest in archaeology, get them saying, you've got to get out there, volunteer, meet the people, get networking. It's fear of failure. There should be no fear fear to fail because you're so young at that stage. We won't we won't criticize you at that stage. You're simply there to learn. They're more than happy to take you on if you just ask. I mean, they obviously can't dedicate months and months to you, but they can help you in so many ways. Sort of pointing in the direction of uh, sort of what books to read, sort of who to contact, uh, what's the best place to go to get the education that you want. I mean, it's going to be a bit tricky now if the universities split between vocational and uh, purely academic. In that way so we have to see how it develops next 10 years or so 
Uh, but you, the thing you can do at the minute is just get out there and just find people in your profession, ask them what do I need to do to get to the level of your or to your position just to get on the ladder. And PhD students, will, I've spoken to so many and they say the same thing. It is all about just getting yourself out there, getting that practical experience, finding the right people to talk to so they can help you further develop your career. So it's mostly just like a lot of it's sort of self-initiative um, of giving yourself the, that time to go out there and develop your own skills. But at the same time, having someone there to sort of help you sort of point you in the right direction. The problem, obviously, with um, self-driven stuff is that you need the resources yourself mm. to do that. You know, yes. if you don't come from a well-off background, you obviously have to work all the time. And mm. yes. there's, a, you, you know, is there then the, you know, there's structural things to that. It, it does all sound a bit depressing, though. Is there <laughs> is there something optimistic to be optimistic about in archaeology, heritage and conservation in general? Is there something that you're optimistic about? Uh, I'm optimistic in terms of the uh, the way that CIFA is moving, because now we've got uh, massive projects like uh, HS2, so we're being recognised as part of this integral structure of sort of when it comes to construction and sort of ecology. I say I say ecology because actually um, when you go through and see what HS2 is about, a lot of the land they've bought out is actually not going to be developed. It's actually going to be for uh, sort of wildlife spaces. So not actually building on it. They're actually doing a lot of projects on side of HS2, which are not, um, which are not going to be environmentally detrimental. Um, they're actually going to be positive impacts for the environment. So they're very conscious of their uh, carbon footprint and their physical footprint as well. So archaeology is helping with that uh, by by using the HERDS document, the uh, Historic Environment Research Development Strategy, I think it's called. I hope I got that right. That is my fault. <laughs> it is. But it's the overarching research document for HS2. And it was uh, Helen uh, Glass, I think, uh, or Helen Glover. She's the Greater London uh, County Archaeologist who's basically uh, helped design all these documents for these huge infrastructure projects around the country. And she's been very good at it, to be fair. She's got all the specialists in from around the country to the help out and uh, county archaeologists to inform the local archaeology. So, you've, so we've got this research strategy now for HS2, which is incredibly comprehensive. I've read it myself, well, bits of it anyway. And it's very well done. And it's something to aim for in that uh, it makes us look like a profession that you want to be part of. It's we're considered to be safer than a lot of other manual labor um, in industries. In the construction industry, they still have one death a week in, the, in their industry. How that is still acceptable in the 21st century, I don't know. In archaeology, I can only remember one death in the profession in the last 10 years. And that case went to court. And so well, there's a sort of confusion about the impact of that particular court case. Overall, we're still a very safe profession. And you really want to point that out. Yeah. We are safe. We are safe. We're, we're, an act, we're, very, um, we're very positive um, in that front, at least. But in terms of, yeah, but, but by being more professional on top of that, we're looking to increase wages across the board because our work is recognized as being professional. Even if you're not necessarily a registered organization, the fact that archaeology is seen as increasingly an important resource for all of humanity and not just the, alongside the environments uh, or ecologists and stuff. It's definitely... Um, seeing an, an increase. I'm seeing an increase. I can't obviously disclose how much I am, but... I'm seeing that the wages are going up and initiatives like uh, Badger's um, minima for recommended... Um, sorry, Sifa's recommended minima, but advertised through Badger generally, how most people see it. 
their minimums are being accepted by most companies now. I mean, train, you're getting trainees and apprenticeships through uh, Badger as well, or at least advertised through Badger through big companies like Cotswold and uh, Headland. So they're doing, they are doing their bit gradually. It's a slow change. And with all these uh, major uh, shifts or paradigm changes to use the academic parlance, um, it's going to take time, unfortunately. So we're not going to see results overnight, but it'll be a gradual change. It'll be positive. And I hope that a new generation can be involved in that in some way, particularly looking at students now, telling them what you can do in advance of that. And so to be fair, the younger generation, like pre-18-year-olds, they're actually quite positive about their chances, despite all the doom and gloom that you see in the papers about their prospects. So I, I am positive as a result of all these various developments. And if somebody wants to get in contact with um, New Generation, what are you guys doing? Uh, do you have anything planned? You said you just had a meeting um, here at the conference. Do you have other meetings? Are they, how so are they done? What we do, we have, um, we try to do face-to-face -face meetings as often as possible, but because we're all spread out over the country and we embrace technology uh, quite a lot, we use Skype quite a bit for our meetings. AGMs, we kind of have to do in person. So, uh, But in terms of what we do in the meetings, we discuss our plans going forward. So we, um, we're contacting the Council of British Archaeology about some uh, collaboration because they have a lot of members who might be interested in what we do. Um, and we can help them direct them towards resources. The other plans, because we've just had a new uh, representative from CIFA join and replace the old one, just because they've had a bit of a restructuring in uh, CIFA. So now Anna Welsh, rather than um, Leanne Burney, who's our representative from uh, CIFA, uh, on the board. So she's come along with all these great ideas and uh, we hope to take her ideas on board and uh, go from there because we hope to have a presence at the University Archaeology Day in the British Museum, which is that June or July? It's sometime in the summer, I know that much. I know it's the second ever University Archaeology Day, which is a great idea. It's got a lot of potential. Um, I heard it was, a, it was a fairly sound success, but there was a lot of room for uh, improvements. But then there's always, there always is for these things. Um, so, yeah, we're looking to, like I say, have a presence there and get young people into the profession through and um, tell them why we, why we exist as a professional body. Because ultimately, New Generation represents CIFA and what we do uh, within that. And then going, for, going forward from there, we have a, a presence at the European Association of Archaeologists as well. We've got a, a session going on there too, which I will probably be at because I'm also presenting a paper at another session. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a busy life. But, good stuff so, good yes stuff. that's what we're doing in the next few months perfect that sounds great thank you very much alistair this has been a presentation of the archaeology podcast network visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com